Richard. Um, you're looking a little bit puzzled there. Are you OK? Oh, uh, hello, Emily. Uh, I just wondered what's happened to our audience. Uh, audience? But we're just recording the podcast. The audience won't hear us until you've edited it. Oh. Isn't there a live audience? Uh, no, there isn't. Those live podcasts were just for our company events. We're back to the normal one now. OK, well, let's hit the theme tune. and welcome to If It's Hurting It's Not Working, our podcast all about work, why we work, how we work and what makes a great job. So in this episode we've got another guest and we'll be talking to Sean West, the Chief Financial Officer at the company where we work, about his career and some of the things he's learned along the way. Yeah but first a quick word about what we've been up to over the last few weeks since we, uh, we last dropped a podcast with you. The main thing for us to talk about is that we did some live podcasts for our own company, hence I guess the sketch we've just done. So we we brought to the If It's Hurting It's Not Working experience to colleagues across three of our large sites. Yeah, and the aim of those events were to get back into the offices, into our people hubs and see people, including some of who are our regular listeners. Yeah, and it was great to be able to talk to them about the podcast. Also, I guess when you're recording something in front of a of a live audience, then that instant feedback is also quite interesting as well. But unfortunately, we can't share those episodes with you because they're too company specific. And we were very clear at the beginning when we started this podcast that we wanted to keep our work and personal activities like this podcast that we're doing separate. So that's why we're not going to be sharing them. But given that the main part of our shows were interviews with our colleagues about their careers and some of their turning points, we thought that we could you know, have a go at re-recording some of those. Uh, and so we've reprised our conversation with Sean West for this episode, and we'll maybe do a, another one or two of those in the next few months. So it's time to introduce our guest, Sean West. Hello, Sean. Hi, Emily. Hi, Richard. Yeah, so welcome. Welcome, Sean, to If It's Hurting, It's Not Working. Thanks very much, Richard. I'm glad to be here. So, Sean, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and introduce yourself to our, our listeners? Yeah, sure. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm Sean West. I'm uh, the Chief Finance Officer here at Arkiva. I was born in Australia, but I've lived in the UK for the last uh, 22 years and now call the UK home. Uh, I live in South London with my wife and I've got two small children uh, of the age of uh, seven and four. So uh, when I'm not managing finances to do with our telecommunications and broadcasting infrastructure, I'm running around under the infrastructure of two small children under the age of seven. That's certainly enough to fill your life and keep you busy. Indeed. So you're a Chief Finance Officer today, but can you take us back to your first job and what that was, please? Yeah, sure. Look, Emily, it seems like an eternity ago now, but many, many, many moons ago, uh, my very first job was actually as a musician, and specifically as a classical musician. I used to play the clarinet, I used to perform in orchestras, and I also used to teach. So it's not something I've done for over sort of 20, 25 years now, but uh, at the time it seemed like a good idea in any case, but uh, it's fascinating to see how one's life pans out when I look back on that now. 
Sure. So I guess that then begs some more questions. So how did you did you move away from from that then into into working in finance? Well, as with all things uh, with many people's lives, Richard, uh, by accident, um, I think is probably the case. So, you know, I spent a lot of time, as I say, working, playing in orchestras and teaching. I was expected to go into a sort of professional career in music. And I actually, I got, I got mentored by someone at a fairly early age who used to, used to play in the Sydney Symphony Orchestra, actually. And I was just talking about life one day with, uh, with that particular individual. I asked him for his advice. If he had, if he had his time again, what, what would he do? He said to me, look, uh, you know, music is great, but it's a tough gig. So, um, you know, try your hand at other things as well. You always got the opportunity to come back. And in my case, my, my other calling in life, I guess, was numbers. And so I went off to university today at finance and economics degree, out popped the other side working in, in finance and financial services and then finance functions in corporates and, and frankly never came back. So I, I heeded that mentor's advice 50% of the way and, uh, and, 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 and never came back. And look, if I'm honest with you, Richard, I think this is something else that you sort of pick up as you as you get a bit older. Is that you come, you know, ever ever more self-aware. And I think I made a call once I'd left the sort of music profession that you know I saw people that were probably better at it than I I was. And I thought, well, I can still be an enthusiast. I could still enjoy it, but uh, mm-hmm. perhaps my calling in life was in a different direction. And so it has been. So it's good to identify where your strengths lie with that. Then, um, so yeah. you, you've got your music as your passion. And, and your finance as your, your day job. Indeed. Okay. So what was your favourite job and why, Sean? Yeah, look, um, I think we've all all had sort of various jobs in our careers. I think the other interesting one that I had was, um, again, when I was sort of starting my career and uh, training up and, and, and doing professional exams and the like, I, I also had a part-time job taking tastings at a winery, believe it or not, in Australia. So I come from Sydney, so just north of Sydney is a place called the Hunter Valley. Many, many people know it. It was about an hour, hour and a half's drive north of where I used to live in Sydney. So I used to be able to pop up there and do a part-time job taking tastings at the weekends. I'm an avid golfer as well and keen golfer, so I used to go and play some golf as well at the weekend up there and uh, it was probably one of the most enjoyable jobs I did I think I think partly because even to this day it's very different to almost everything I've done you know you when you when you're doing you know that type of activity you get almost instantaneous feedback from a customer right Mm. and you're getting instant feedback you know usually gratification that people are enjoying themselves but you know in some instances that's not the case but you instantly know whether they're having a good time or not and that's Mm. actually something that's um you know different in, in, in for, for me compared to a lot of the other roles that I've performed and jobs I've had in my career. So look, I, I, A, it was a great lot of fun. B, you had that instantaneous feedback of giving pleasure to people. And thirdly, you know, for a large period of time, I managed to enjoy a lot of very, very good wine <laughs> at that stage of my, at that stage of my life. So it was, uh, it was a winner all around. Yeah. So, so Sean, both of those roles seem to have a, a measure of performance in them. Is performing something you'd recognise as, as a characteristic that you've got, or something that you, that you enjoy? Yeah. Look, I think it is. I think I think it's about not just performing, Richard, and particularly on the musical side of things. I think it's performing as a team, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not all about you. You can be the best performer in the world and be the best yeah. instrumentalist, but the reality is to actually give someone pleasure or to deliver an outcome or an output, that's you know what people want. Whether you're playing in a duet, there's two of you. Whether you're playing in an orchestra where there could be up to 80, 80 plus people of you, you realize the importance that every single person plays. Mm. And I think if you ask me, what is the one thread 
that, that takes me from the, what, what might seem a, a completely unrelated <laughs> set of roles uh, from my past into today. It's that, you know, the importance of everyone playing playing a part. Someone asked me this question the other day, actually, and I gave them the orchestral analogy. You know, imagine, imagine a situation where you've got an 80-piece orchestra and, you know, there's someone in the percussion section whose only job is in a, maybe a 25-minute piece is to play the triangle for 10 seconds. Yeah? Yeah. You might think that's a tiny part in, in, in an overall thing. But actually, unless someone does that and does it well, hmm. the whole the whole performance is impacted. And that's no different to, you know, what we do, you know, in the in the other jobs that I've had in my career and indeed my current one. So it actually doesn't matter whether you're in the front line, be it in terms of front of customers, be it in terms of delivery, whether you're a central function like a finance function or an HR function or a legal function or IT function. Right, every single person's got to play their part, and they have a contributing part for for, for the outcome. And it's just reminding people that, that, that that's the case. So for me, that's probably the biggest single sort of takeaway that I had from that life into my current life. Yeah, and I mean, you've already seen on this podcast this morning the importance of teamwork uh, in getting the, mm-hmm. the the right outcome. I, I guess one example from similar example from my life. So I was involved in a brass band when I was a boy. And I mean, we weren't all brilliant players, but we we played well together. And then I went to university and I joined the university brass band and it was awful. And actually the, the individual quality of the performers was very good, but they were all soloists. They weren't listening to each other. They weren't playing well together. And and the the outcome is so much better when you when you are all pulling in the same direction, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree yeah. more. Okay, well, in a different direction, Sean, how do you try to find a good work-life balance? Yeah, this is this is a tough one, Richard. The first the first thing I, I I got a confession to make is that I find this really difficult, right? So if any of your listeners out there thinking you know they're struggling with this, trust me, you know more people than not struggle with this question as as well in this aspect as well. Look, I yeah. think I, I think I think the first thing is is to be really uh, aware that. You know, you can't do everything. You know, today's lives, we pack so much in, you know, with mm-hmm. the connectivity and all the things that we have access to and all the activities that, you know, our friends and family, you know, want us to partake in. I don't think I can remember a time in my life when I speak to sort of those people that are more elderly than me, um, you know, my, my parents and relatives and the like. I don't think we've ever lived in a time where we're more time poor. And so I think the first thing we all need to, under, you know, need need to take t- take a look at is you can't do everything perfectly. So we, you know, for those of us that are perfectionists, right, or have perfectionist tendencies, we need to kind of stick that at the door, and you just got to accept it, right? Mm. And so then it's really about thinking, how can I be as effective as I can be in terms of all the facets of my life? So if I, if you know, coming back to your question in my life, I mentioned to you, I've got two, two, two kids under the age of seven, right? And I've got, and, and I've got a, a quite a demanding job as well. I need to make sure that every moment of my day, I'm doing something really effectively. So, you know, one one of the benefits of being a CFO is you get to because most things are linked to money, you get to see most things, right? It does mean that you effectively have to be across you know a very wide ranging things, which means you're included in pretty much everything. So mm-hmm. demands on your time are really quite excessive, and you know I I, I have to read report after report. Quite often, you know, I find myself in in a place where I'm both physically and mentally, you know, tired. Where I'm reading something, it's just not going in, right? And yeah. I've got yeah. to read it two or three times, and it's still not going in. And you know, it's being aware that. Actually, no, I've passed my use, useful threshold right here. It's time for a break. So, you know, go for a walk, change a scene, creating almost symbolic barriers. So making sure that when I'm working, I'm at work. When I'm 
switching off from work. You know, I physically turn off my computer and put it in put it in a drawer. I physically check my emails on my phone, but when I'm when I'm, when I'm not on on at work, I will put you know I will put that in the drawer. And then I can commit myself to spending time with my my family and my children and and and, and exercise and, th- and things like that. And knowing that you know that's that's a good use of time for me because then when I do become more refreshed or balanced, you know I can I can attack my uh, my work tasks in 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 a, in a more efficient way. So I think it's I think it's being really aware of some key signs that you're not being particularly effective in the various parts of your life. And then also be surrounding yourself by people and things. That will remind you. So you know, I'm very, very fortunate. I've, I've got a very understanding wife who um, is also very open with me, and you know, she will, she will call me out if I'm, you know, not really committing to stuff at home with, you know, her or the children. You know, she'll remind me, say, look, do you want to take some time out to do some work, and then come back, come, come back to us so you can really have quality, dedicated time. Mm. And then it's also help making difficult calls in terms of, you know, which bits of which bits of things are you going to try and achieve and which bits which things you can't, and noting that you can't do everything and you can't be perfect, uh, and being happy with that and being able to sleep at night with that. I think putting those boundaries in place that you've got there are really useful tips as well. Putting the laptop away, physically turning it off, because it's also too easy, isn't it? If it's still on when you go in to close the curtains at night or whatever you're doing at home or in the office you're easily distracted by oh and then you're in that black hole of half an hour an hour later of working at ridiculous times so um those boundaries that you put in place i think are some really good tips for our listeners yeah so i mean just just another thought sean so i mean you talked about maximizing i guess every moment i mean does that put a bit of pressure on you in the sense that you can't just kind of sit down and and shoot the breeze or whatever or or do you find opportunities for that as well no, I think I think that 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 takes equal prominence, Richard. So having downtime, having relaxing time, you know, engaging with friends and family, away from the intensity of work or you know chasing after children, that's equally important, right? Mm. Just just because it's downtime doesn't mean it's less important. Right. Mm-hmm. It's about keeping you fresh, and and I think you know it's becoming more topical, isn't it, in, in modern society, modern workplace? It it's not just about going for a run, and or it's not just going to the gym and getting some physical exercise. It's actually mental. You know, a mental break as well, isn't it? Mm. Your yeah. brain, your brain is a muscle as well, so you need to detox your brain as well from, from time to time and give give it a rest. And so, you know, that downtime is every bit as important as the hours that you put in, be it in the office or at home. And I guess it's as well as is what you see as relaxing time. It could be very different from one person to another somebody's relaxation time might be reading a book somebody else's might be going for a run somebody else's might be out in the garden playing with the dog or the children or doing the gardening so I think it's very as your lifestyles change as well it's very prescriptive on what that means for that individual just because you might look in at one and go well Sean you know you're constantly on the go but actually that might be your relaxation at the end of the day as well constantly on the go with your children (laughs) yeah and Emily you make a really great point there and I think the only thing the the thing that I would I'd call out you know you can you know a number of examples and it is the eye of the beholder right it's what works for you Mm -hmm. okay and the only the only you know, I wouldn't even call it advice. The only suggestion that I would give people is, you know, be open-minded. Sometimes engaging in something brand new that does occupy your mind, that actually 
takes you, you know, gives you a degree of escapism from the other parts of your life. And whilst it might seem like hard work, actually, it, in net terms, it's it's actually you know giving you that that space from thinking about all the other things. So you know, experiment, try try things, and just because everyone else is doesn't view it as a downtime or or, or an important part of your uh, one's makeup doesn't mean it's it's the wrong thing for you. Sean, would you talk to us a bit? about a key moment in your career and what you learned from it. Yeah, sure. Look, I think when you look back on one's career, you can think of lots of different instances. But for me, look, I've got one moment which I think probably stands out above everything else to do in my professional career. It's not to do with music and it's not to do with uh, drinking wine either. Um, (laughs) Fairly early on in my time here in the UK, I used to work for a company called Railtrack. Now, a lot of your listeners may not even know who that is or who that was specifically, but effectively it was the forerunner of an organisation called Network Rail, who runs the major stations and the railway infrastructure in this country. Now, Railtrack went to administration in October 2001. Mm-hmm. And a real key moment in my career was the day before that organisation went into administration. So I was called up at the weekend. I had to go into a big room, boardroom. It was filled with a whole bunch of people, advisors, financial advisors, lawyers, insolvency practitioners, directors and the like. I was sitting there as a subject matter expert because I was working in the corporate finance team at the time. And this is over sort of 20 plus years ago, I was at a different stage of my career than I am today. So, you know, I walk into this room and it's leading specialists in, in their respective fields, all sitting there debating what on earth was going to happen with this organisation, how things were going to work forward. And, and you know, I, I guess to put it into context, at the time, it was one of the largest corporate insolvencies that had ever hit the UK market. And so there was high profile, there was criticality because it's a critical national infrastructure and the importance not just to the economy, but actually to society as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was, I was very much in awe of everyone in this room at the time. And I felt a little bit of an imposter, if I'm honest with you, you know, sitting in that room as well, you know, given the fact that they were all veterans and captains of of their specialisms. But I was really fortunate to have this sort of window into the world fairly early on in my career. I felt completely out of my depth, totally in awe of all these people. And I just kind of fell in behind the pack, so to speak, and just said, look, I'm just going to sit here and suck all this up and listen to everyone and follow what their lead is and and provide information and answer questions directly if, if, if I was asked. But I was very much in sort of the listening and following mode. Mm. And then what happened is basically for the following sort of 12, 18 months, you know, that organization worked through an administration process and then got reincarnated into the network where we saw today. And every moment in that 18 months, two years period, what I understood and what I learned is that actually notwithstanding everyone's experience and background, but actually they didn't know what was going on either, right? Mm-hmm. Because it never happened before. No. Yeah. And so where was the error? Where was the big miss in that situation? Was it because people in the room didn't have the experience? Well, no, because if it's never happened before, no one can be expected to know what to do. Mm. Actually, the big fail there was me. Right. It was my perspective that my voice didn't count. And I made assumptions that other people knew the answers where I didn't. And I think I think, guys, that was for me the the, the most fundamental lesson I've learned in my career from that moment because as we worked through that following 12-18 months period I realized that my contribution was as important as anyone else and actually Mm -hmm. the assumptions I'd made were completely erroneous and the importance actually of trying to work through that situation was that you needed the collective thought power brain power arms and legs in order to move things to where they needed to move to but no one individual could do it in their own and indeed yes of course there were people in leadership roles in that type of arrangement but 
coming back to the analogy I gave before, Richard, about an orchestra, mm. right? You know, I'd like to think that my contribution was slightly more than a triangle player playing 15 seconds in a 25-minute piece, you know, mm. and indeed, in hindsight, it absolutely was a greater role than that. But it was absolutely critical. And to this day, I have people that are probably retired now, but who were leading insolvency practitioners or you know, financing lawyers and, and, and investment bankers and like who to this day still keep in contact with me. And we, 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 we almost reminisce about some of the stuff that we did back then, mm. noting of, of how we used to work together and the contribution that every single person that worked on that did. So for me, that is probably the most significant moment in my life or period of my life, but that particular day, it was one of the biggest errors of my career, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, one of the biggest learnings as well. And actually, it's something that I you know, reflect on and indeed bring to discussion and comment almost every other day of my working life. Mm. And that's really powerful, isn't it? The, the key learnings that you've got there, the never, ever assume. Yeah. Well, it's better to know. It's it's better to know for certain than just assume, right? Yeah, So definitely. better to speak up, make a suggestion. If someone says they've got it and they understand it, they've got it. Great. Everyone moves on without without an issue. If you assume something and you don't contribute, you don't quite know, do you? Mm. No, exactly. And you've said it before on this podcast, Emily, that it's much easier to learn when you get something wrong than it is when you get something right because you feel it more viscerally, I suppose. Yeah, and every day is a school day. Even as a parent this morning, we've just got a new puppy. So she's only nine weeks old and I've spent a lot of time with her. And my son was out looking after her this morning and I saw him yesterday on his mobile phone when he was meant to be looking after her. So this morning when I saw him on his mobile phone again, I just bounded out of the back door and, what? get off your phone, you're looking after the dog. And it was like, Mum, I am arranging what time my lift's collecting me for college. Oh, okay. And that, exactly, I just assumed he was doing what he was doing yesterday. So mm. again, yeah, assumption, always get your facts right first before you jump. <laughs> <laughs> sure. How true. So Sean, I mean, I guess one of the things that came out of that example there, when something's unprecedented, it's really hard to deal with. And we've just been hit in the last, what, five, six years with a succession of unprecedented events. We had Brexit, we had the pandemic, inflation, I guess we've also got the obvious impact now of climate change in it as well. There's, there's a bunch of things that are, that are happening that maybe people in business have never had to face before. And I wonder, obviously, in your role, you're having to, to make decisions and thoughts about some of those things. And you've talked about the learning you got from that previous experience. How have you tackled that? Yeah, look, I would say, Richard, again, coming back to the orchestral example, particularly with the examples that you've just given in terms of what organisations have faced over recent periods of time, it's having a collective view from different perspectives. Mm. And look, a lot gets said at the moment, and it's very much the topic du jour, right, of, of diversity and inclusion, right? You know, we hear it talked about all the time, and quite right too. Yep. Yep. But I think, for me... The absolute critical thing that I've seen when businesses and organisations have really faced these unprecedented, no track record type situations, the importance of having the diversity of thought, the diversity of experience, the diversity of perspective, those are the things that you are going to be able to throw into a melting pot when you're trying to make critical decisions in reaction to to some of these events. And it's not to say that you're going to get them right 100% of the time, but you know, before you make a decision, you'll have a better perspective on things. 
that you have a higher probability of making the right decision. And mm. you may still get things wrong. And Emily, coming back to your point, you mm. still make mistakes, but it's being able to spot them early, accepting it, and then course correcting as quickly as you can. So it's that perspective to start to try and get a better quality of debate and decision making. And then once you've done that, you commit to it, but then understand that you can react and course correct. And as, as I think the phrase that everyone uses, fail fast and, and fix forward, that has never, ever been more true than it is at the moment. I like that. That's very good. Okay, so does handling the finance of a business during tough conditions give any insight into the problems of a cost of living crisis affecting our listeners? Great question, Emily, right? And and anyone who knows me would be sick of me saying the following, but it is so true, right? Managing the finances for a company is really not that different from managing finances at home, okay? Mm-hmm. And that's particularly true in today's market. So everyone needs to manage their finances. To my mind, in very simple terms, there's only two key principles in finance, right? And that is you've got to manage your inflows and you've got to manage your outflows, And over time, on a sustainable basis, the inflows need to be greater or equal to the outflows. And if they're not, then that's where we get into trouble. Yeah. Okay. And yes, I know in short term period, you might be able to borrow some money from the bank or some other sources. But at the end of the day, over the long term, you need to be able to repay all of those things. Mm. And so it, it really is super simple. What are your inflows? What are your outflows? And make sure you try and balance them as best you can over a reasonable time period. And the steps that you take to do that, yeah, of course, they're different for a business as they are for for individuals, but the the methodology and the approach is exactly the same. So if you're seeing challenges whereby the cost of living goes up, you need to try and anticipate that and see exactly what the impact's going to be on your business or indeed on your household and try mm-hmm. and prepare try and have a best guess of what, what, what that means and then, you know, where appropriate need to make decisions. And some of those decisions might be reaching out to suppliers, be it energy suppliers or mortgage providers or the like, mm. in the same way that a business might need to have to reach out to its suppliers or its creditors mm. or something like mm-hmm. that and, and engage in a, in a constructive discussion. You know, at the end of the day, people don't really want to lose you as a customer if they can help it because anyone that runs a business knows that winning a business, winning customers is a really hard thing. Mm. If you can demonstrate that you're taking the right steps, you know, more often than not, counterparties will try and help, you know, through through a challenging thing. So so to my mind, it's trying to, to, to look forward as best you can, really try and balance your inflows and the outflows. And if you need some extra help, call out and engage with whoever those parties are that, that, that you might need to, 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 to engage with. Yeah, I like that. So engaging with your creditors. I mean, both Emily and I talked in the last podcast we did about how we'd had a checkered history with this and fallen into to problems previously. I mean, it, I think one of the things, one of the perspectives I have is that once you're in a hole, it's an awful lot more difficult to get out of it than when you're sort of standing on the precipice. And I think decisions perhaps that we that we make now could have you know a, a long long term impact. Indeed, and you're right, Richard. And the, the importance of looking forward is is trying to manage that. So even if you're in a hole. You know, there's there's a whole bunch of you know services and people that you can talk to that help you through trying to plan those type of things, yeah. which may mean that as I say, it may not be a twelve month view, but it might be a you know a three three four year view. Yeah. They'll, they'll help put you on the right path. That means that that hole gets smaller, and hopefully you one steps out thereof. But you need a plan, and and mm. sometimes the numbers seem very big, 
right? Mm. Because in the here and now, they look very big. When I don't know about you, when I first bought a house and I had a mortgage, I thought I would never, ever, ever pay this off, mm. right? And, yeah. and they, they were numbers that I couldn't even conceptualize. Uh, you know, I phys- physically could read them on a piece of paper, but I started thinking to myself, could I ever pay this minimum? And of course, when you start going through about, you know, mortgage payments and the period of time that you've got and what you're earning, you know, what, what you earn in your salary and, and, and the like, you realize actually it is possible, but you have to be disciplined and you've got to have a plan. And if you do yeah. that, you'll be amazed at how, how quickly you can get out of holes or, or, or digest challenging situations. Sure. There's a lot of value in having a spreadsheet for your finances, I must admit. As much as I absolutely detest doing it sometimes at the end of a working day and doing our home finances on a spreadsheet, it does make sense. And that plan is so critical now to ensure that you don't go over your budget. Well, I think I think you slightly tongue-in-cheek talk about a spreadsheet, Emily, right? But I think the key point there is keeping track, right? The, mm-hmm. the, the unblinding thing there is keeping track of what's going on. That's no different at home as it is uh, for the office and in the work environment. And, you know, again, coming back to some of the other things that we've talked about on this podcast, so sometimes, sometimes you just need a, a few checks and balances. You know, I know people that in times like this, they actually rip up their credit card. They give their credit card mm-hmm. back. Yeah, because yeah. They, the trouble is if you've got four different accounts, you know, how on earth do you keep track of everything? Yeah. You know, even with all the online banking, things like that, actually stick it all through one. You can absolutely, to the last penny, see what's coming in and what's going out. And the bank account doesn't lie. Mm. Right. No, it doesn't. So you know, little things like that can also help. But the, the sentiment of what you've just said there is being able to track what's going on is just so important. Brilliant. And even going to speaking and trying to teach the generation coming up as well I've just been going through the whole budgeting thing with my son he's got just getting a car learning to drive he's working so he's having to balance all of those luxury items so that he can pay for his necessities first and that's actually quite challenging when you have to go back to the basics and start teaching them and I just it blows my mind that schools do not teach the basic life skills to our next generation coming up through they're going to, it worries me seeing what they're going to be dealing with given the cost of living crisis that we're, we're experiencing at the moment. Hmm. I was just going to say, Emily, that I was amused to see you, you, you can take the woman out of the finance team, but I see it's well ingrained in you. <laughs> yeah, I've done too many years in finance to just leave it now. <laughs> <laughs> Real. So look, Sean, we've, we've talked about some heavy and weighty topics there, but perhaps on the brighter side of things, what's the best part of being Chief Finance Officer? Again, my opinion, but whether you like it or not, right, money is the currency with which we transact stuff. Mm -hmm. And therefore, to complete anything in today's society involves some sort of financial transaction. So what does that necessarily mean, Richard? That necessarily means, I think I alluded to it before, is that you know finance ends up being an integral part of just about any organ. It doesn't matter which organization you're working for or where you work, you're an integral part of any organization. So look, for me, it's, again, coming back to the triangle example, it's ultimately where a business grows and succeeds. It, it tries, it achieves something that it's trying to set out to do. And I take huge pleasure being a CFO, knowing that me or my team had an influential role in delivering that, be it in terms of tracking and making sure that the performance of something was going the right direction, whether it's facilitating the funding to make sure that we had the money to be able to do something. But at the end of the day, it's about seeing something grow, seeing something deliver, seeing something being achieved that you and your team had an integral part of. Fantastic. 
So that brings us to our last question, Sean. What does success look like to you and what would you say has been your greatest success? Yeah, look, Emily, I think I follow on with the question that Richard just posed me, right? For me, success is not a single thing. And I'm not even sure I can answer your question, right? Because <laughs> I think success is a relative concept depending on what the situation has in, you, you know, the one's in. So, you know, the key themes are exactly the ones I just gave to Richard. You know, where you or your team has managed to influence a successful outcome through the impact of financial arrangements. Look, I, I've been hugely lucky in my career. I've worked on some crazy thing over my time. You know, I gave you the example right up front where you asked me what was the most influential moment of my career, you mm-hmm. know, to create an organization out of a, a something a, a, of another one that, that had gone into administration was amazing, right? It was something mm-hmm. that needed to be done for the for the good of the country. We managed to do it. It was an amazing thing. I've, I've helped property companies be able to create you know significant developments and regeneration of spaces does that give me any more or less gratification or sense of satisfaction or success no it doesn't i mean they're, they're very different they're different points in time you know i've also worked in financial services where i've taken a business that was effectively reeling after the financial crisis and almost create a new business model so it's just got an exciting mm-hmm. future so all of these things they're great outcomes the one theme I would say across all of these, they're not financial outcomes. Even though I'm the CFO yeah. uh, and I spent all my life working uh, with the exception of the, the two examples I gave you at the start of this podcast, even though I work in finance, actually the outcomes are actually usually not financial, right? Uh, you know, I don't see the success as purely being financial. I see it as the outcomes that you create that you as a finance person or a finance function have been able to contribute to. And so it's really about those business outcomes that I take great satisfaction from. Really looking at the bigger picture of what your contributions go towards is the bigger outcome at the end. So, yeah, absolutely, that's really good. Great. Well, look, thanks, Sean, for for spending the time to talk to us this morning and and for sharing your insights. It's, It's been great to chat. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Sean. It's been a privilege for me, guys. So thanks so much for your time and inviting me along. Great. So if you've enjoyed this episode, please rate our podcast and leave reviews in places like Apple Podcasts and Podchaser. Also tell your friends, your family, your colleagues and your neighbours. But if you don't like it, just don't tell a soul. Yeah, and by all means, contact us with your thoughts and ideas via either our email address, ifhurtnotwork at gmail.com or our LinkedIn page or indeed our Twitter account at ifhurtnotwork. And of course, don't forget you can visit our website, ifhurtnot.work, and we'll be back soon. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for listening. Okay, here we go then. Um, do you want to hit record, Richard? <laughs> oh, dear. Just I can tell that... again, Richard. Yeah, everything you said was right. Yeah. yeah. Are you going to do your line, Richard? Oh, sorry. Uh, if I was actually looking at a script, it'd be good, wouldn't it? <laughs> Just waiting for Alexa to stop. Sorry, there's motion at my front door. I must must silence the one in the study. Um, okay.